You're listening to the Tech Talk Show. Hi there, my name is Sue Nelson and for the next half an hour or so we're going to be talking about all things tech. I'm joined by my fellow presenter, Russ Shaw, founder of Tech London Advocates and Global Tech Advocates. Hi Russ. Hi Sue. Nice to see you. How are you doing? I'm very well. Should, How are I think you? I should call you Saint Russ of Shaw. <laughs> <laughs> of all the stuff you've been doing this year, when I you said to me you were going to slow down, gagging Saint on her, Russ for food, as you Saint say, Saint Russ that. of Shaw. I think we should call you. Um, so uh, before I talk to my guest, uh, well, we've we've got another lovely guest in the studio. We do, uh, Gavin Paul of Here East. Hi, Gavin. Hello. Uh, probably not yet, Saint Gavin. No, certainly not. <laughs> <laughs> and those who know those who know me well will know. Well, certainly not a. We'll laugh, we'll laugh at that. Yes. <laughs> Okay, fine. And before we move on to um, here East and, and some of the other things we want to talk about today, Russ, can you just explain um, the difference between Tech London Advocates and Global Tech Advocates? Because now when we go onto the TLA website, that there's there's so much going on, and we and, and I know now you're travelling all around the world. What, what what's the difference between mm. the two? Very good question. So Tech London Advocates is a group I set up just over six years ago, um, to bring London's tech leaders together to promote our ecosystem, to showcase the great startups, scale-ups, founders, and to address the issues and challenges that we face. Um, We've got over 7,000 in the community, 45, soon to be 46 working groups, um, and I run that group. And we try and bring that group together a couple times a year, year, and we're going to do that again at Here East, which you'll hear about in a moment. On top of that, I run Global Tech Advocates. So Tech London Advocates, or TLA, is now one of 13 groups in Global Tech Advocates. The other groups, I license the brand, the IP, the operating principles, so that they create a similar group wherever they are in the world. I charge them a whopping one pound a year, so it's not say, about making money. Of, do you make loads of money out of this? No, no, no. no, no, no. I, I, maybe one day, but, but mm-hmm. not at the moment. It's very much focused on creating a similar ecosystem in different places and not about making money, but how do we then create these groups in the Nordics, in Shanghai, in the Bay Area, in Bogota, in Italy, Spain, Paris, wherever. Um, And then how do we, in my role as founder of Global Tech Advocates, how do we interconnect our tech hubs? So so the reason why you started um, uh, in London, uh, uh, I seem to recall, having met you years ago now, um, is because you felt quite strongly that London was the centre, you know, or could be a global centre for the the tech world. Yes. How does that then work when you go over to Japan and go, yeah, well, London's the best, really, chance. But but, but it's not about that, is it? It's about drawing, and it's sort of got bigger than that. In a way. It has, but but underneath all of this is a philosophy that that London can be a global, a world leading global tech hub. You know, I say in my lifetime, I don't think we'll be a Silicon Valley, or I don't think we'll be a Greater Bay Area in China, which is Shenzhen, Guangzhou, and Hong Kong. But we can carve out a unique role in this global ecosystem. Uh, so, and, and so can others. And so can I others. What you're saying, yeah. But but ultimately, with with me being based here, with TLA here, with Global Tech Advocates here interconnecting these hubs, whether it's around the world or across the UK. We've got four groups in GTA that are within the UK. That is where the strength of this comes from. So interconnecting tech hubs, I think, makes individual tech hubs that much stronger. And, and so if sharing, London is that base, yeah, then and that's sharing, great. Sharing learnings and, 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 and just making connections uh, as well. Sharing learnings, helping businesses, say, from London who want to expand to Singapore or Paris or the Bay Area, 
we can do that and connect them to the right communities or welcoming entrepreneurs, whether they're in Tokyo, in Shenzhen, um, in Copenhagen who want to come to London, then we will introduce those people into our communities. And it's really about helping and supporting them. So so if I did, I don't know, lived in Russia or something, and then I came over here mm-hmm. because I wanted to start a new business, it, it, it's a great idea to join, isn't it? Because then you, you've literally got 7,000 people <laughs> surrounding you, you who do. hopefully a few of them might be able to give you a leg up you or help do. you. And in, the, in TLA, we do have geographic working groups. Mm. So separate to the GTA groups, so when you mentioned Russia, well, we have a TLA Russia group. So it'd be obvious for that person to join that. Exactly. Uh, you know, this coming week, we're launching the TLA Pakistan group, and we have groups covering Latin America, India, China, Africa, MENA, Korea, Taiwan. So, you know, that's about helping London connect to other specific regions around the world. GTA is about creating a similar ecosystem of leaders, all coming together, all pro bono, all as volunteers, to promote and support their individual ecosystem. So it doesn't cost anything to join. But, uh, and I can understand if somebody's abroad and then and coming over to London and, 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 you know, it's a pretty scary place when you go to a capital, capital city yeah, anywhere, isn't it? Yeah. You need some friends. Um, but how, um, if I'm a, in a, a business person, I'm in sort of tech world, um, why would I join? A lot of lot of people I know say I'm really, really busy. I, oh, I can do without another networking thing. Yeah, um, I, I, I hear that to a certain degree, but I think... Um, you know, being part of a community and network and meeting people who are in your sphere. So if you are a retail tech business, you know, great, let's get you involved with our retail tech group. They meet up every couple of months. They have fantastic events. Or, you know, if you're a woman running a tech business and and you want some extra support, you know, join our TLA Women in Tech business, a group which Sarah Luxford leads, which so, has over 3,000. So that means network. you don't have to go to something every month or whatever. There's no. just This is program events and you can dip in and out. You can you. dip in. The okay. groups are designed for very, very busy people. And, you know, it's literally, you know, use us as a resource when speaking, blogging, tweeting about tech, the good, the bad, it doesn't matter. Um, introduce a new advocate when you're ready to do so, but the groups are free and inclusive to join. And three, adopt the ethos. We're here to help each other. That's it. It's for very busy people. Well, like get, you. I get a lot out of it, that's for sure. <laughs> <laughs> so we've got a great event at um, uh, down at Gavin's Gaff, yes. which we'll, we'll talk about in a minute. Um, uh, just explain the Investor Showcase, because mm. it's not exactly the first time it's happened. No, this is Investor Showcase 2.0. So we, we are thinking about the kind of geopolitical environment which we live in. And two years ago, we did our first Investor Showcase, and we timed it approximately six weeks after Article 50 was triggered to bring the whole process to exit the European Union. And it was a fantastic event and bringing investors, startups, scale-ups together to talk about this uncertain environment that we're about to go into. It, it was a strange atmosphere, I recall. It was strange. Um, I think people were in that community were quite shocked, I think. Yes, absolutely. I, I think the general feeling was one of optimism and, and techies tend to be fairly optimistic, but there was a sense of, we well, don't know how where did we this... manage to get here? Exactly. That's and, that's... and where is this going to land? Well, exactly. and, and here we are two years later, and we still don't know exactly where this is going to land. And we timed this Investor Showcase 2.0, assuming that at this point, after the 29th of March, we would have been out of the European Union. Hey, but, we're not. but guess what? We're not. We're not. <laughs> Which is probably not a big surprise when you look back at it. But still, absolutely worthwhile to bring many types of investors to come together to talk about 
what they think is going to happen, how this is going to land, what they're hearing. I mean, what's been remarkable for me is since the referendum, the level of investment in London and UK tech has continued to grow exponentially. Now, we had a bit of a blip in Q4 of last year. We haven't seen the first quarter numbers. And and I think the level of uncertainty is increasing. And some people are holding back, particularly I'm hearing a bit about investing in very early stage businesses. So we want to hear more about what investors are thinking. How do we get through this period? And then once we get through this period, what do we need to do as a community to really promote brand Britain, which is pretty tarnished as I travel around the world. Yeah, um, um, that, 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 that sort of side of it does depress me a little bit. Um, the event itself then, we, we've got some stimulating speakers. We've got people with different points of view. It's not just one point of view, is it? There's, this, there's some quite interesting debate going on. Yes. So there's some sort of panels where people are discussing things. Yes. Um, and then round the outside of the actual event itself, we, we've got some people exhibiting and mm-hmm. showing, showing off amazing things that they're doing. There, and, you, and you've done that in the past. So we do have our marketplace. I think we've got about 10 or 12 organizations. Many of them are from Plexel which we're going to hear from Gavin on in just a moment to, to showcase their wares. And in terms of the event itself, it's kind of three to three and a half hours, start to finish, all kinds of speakers. Um, they will be asked to present differing views, so we don't want it just to be a big love fest. Um, we've got some great keynotes, Carolyn Fairbarn, the Director General of the CBI, uh, Karen McCormick, the Chief Investment Officer from Berengia, who's the, the lead sponsor uh, for the event, and Sherry Kutu, who's going to talk about talent in this age of, of, of Brexit and what it all means. So, a fantastic lineup. Okay, and then at the end of the programme, we'll do some links uh, from the website so, so yes. um, people can join the event. Yes. How, how many? It's about 700, isn't there? We're expecting between seven and 800 wow. on the day. I think we've already sold over 600, so we will be at or near... Sold over 600 already? Well, yes. If you're listening to this and you haven't booked one, you need to get <laughs> cracking. Yeah, you need to get cracking. Um, now, um, Gavin, we're going to talk a little bit about your um, you, you know, past uh, in a minute. So, um, Gavin Paul of Here Raised... Just for anybody who hasn't been to Here East, to describe what it's like to look at. You know, so your nearest station's Stratford or Hackneywick. Hackneywick. Yeah. You wander along and then there's this huge building looking at you. It, it is. It's massive. And um, it's black and white. Uh, it's got a dazzle ship camouflage pattern on it, which is a bit of a play to what do you do when you're trying to disguise something so big on a horizon from the 1920s. Uh, and then, just to make matters even better, we we put five meter high sky sign saying "Here East" in bright orange right across the top, um, so you can't miss it. When <laughs> Not you walk really, no. The park, um, <laughs> and that, that's it, it Elizabeth big. Park, isn't it? That's the Queen Elizabeth Olympic yeah, Park. Yeah. It is, yeah. So it's formerly the home of all of the uh, press pack and TV studios during the games, and about ninety percent of of content for London twenty twelve came out of the building because it's hugely connected, as you, as you'd imagine, from a TV recording studio. So we put together an idea uh, and a vision, which was to create a technology and creative campus built very much what you hear us talking about global tech advocates and under tech advocates, but about collaboration, innovation, sharing knowledge, um, uh, that that transfer of knowledge when people come together to share ideas, to dream a bit. And we wanted to create a place which was a bit of a landmark um, in London. It wasn't just an innovation centre, a co-working space, but it was a place where Global businesses could come together with the startups, but also when you're looking at creating a brand new innovation ecosystem, which are often overly used and much hyped words, but you've got to look at what is the entrepreneurship ecosystem? What do you need to bring the entrepreneurs to you? 
What about the education ecosystem? What type of universities are going to come on site and support the growth of enterprise businesses? And what about the investment that's going to come through that as well, which is why you know we love having Russ and the team come and work with us to, to bring these mm. events to us. So, so are you saying then that, you, I mean, there's loads of tech hubs now around London. You can, you can trip over them all the time. Um, so, but what you're saying is you, you can't just have an entrepreneur space. It's not going to work. or you're, It's not going to succeed in a sustainable way over years if you've not got these other things that's, around that's it. Our, that's our belief and that's our thesis. And there's lots of academic research that's come out of MIT, which basically shows about five pillars of what makes a successful ecosystem, which we've stumbled upon since doing it. So we kind of made this up as we went along with a good idea that we thought at the time. But So the innovation centre that we, we've put in place, Plexor, um, is kind of like the anchor within the whole ecosystem. Uh, there are many anchors, but from that, we could have given that to someone. We could have brought Elizabeth in with Tech Hub or we could have brought someone else in over uh, the Level 39 team, whatever. We invested in our own innovation centre um, because it needs to have an absolute alignment with what Here East is trying to achieve. There's no point having you know, a business with its own P&L, which is going in one direction, and then here east with a value, you know, 1.2 million square feet of space. It's a big, big... I mean, it's just terrifying how, how much space... It's huge, yes. You know, you take that job on and go, right, you have to fill that. Yeah, I know. And, and oh, by the way, you're sort of in the middle of nowhere. Well, <laughs> but we could see through that. I yeah. mean, you were right. It, it, when we started this out, you know, you'd get people over there. And we couldn't get there in the early days unless we'd showed a passport driving license to a security guard, gone in in a white van with orange flashing lights, put yellow vests on and walked around a building site and said, look at this. This is going to be a fantastic tech mm. campus. And people look at you and think, you're crazy. Yeah, absolutely. But we've done it. You no, know, it's seventy percent full. Um, yes, we've got three hundred thousand. Stunning achievement because it's huge. It is, it is huge, and we've had some brilliant businesses who saw what we saw from the early days. I mean, BT Sport made it their home from day one. You know, they were in recording and broadcasting live even before we started our own restoration works on the place. Um, we started that a year later, so we had to do all of our work around live TV studios, which you know you'll understand. Cutting through steel joists next to a TV studio is probably not the best <laughs> thing for broadcast. They were thrilled, yeah. But we survived, and we we're all friends, and it's worked. But since then, you know, things like a brand new robotics institute out of UCL, a brand new institute looking at real estate and the future impact that technology is having on the on the uh, design and build of of urban centres globally. Um, as Sega, choosing it as their location to come out of Shoreditch, another data visualization company coming out of Shoreditch. Um, and and we, we have this expression, I spoke about you know, the global businesses and the, and the small startups, but we call it the big, small and the different. And it's the different bit where you end up with sort of like friction between, which creates this really sort of fantastic opportunity of innovation. Yeah, yeah. So we've got, you know, disability charity scope, looking at the role of assistive technology and how that is positively impacting disabled people in a non-disabled world setting up a global disability institute between the two universities, UCL and Loughborough and Plexor and the legacy company own the park to look at the ways that we can take that type of work globally to really have a positive impact in disabled people's mm. lives. Setting up studios for 21 small businesses coming off Hackneywick and Fish Island as they were starting to be displaced through regeneration, but creating a, a really creative studio space for them where they can come that, in. That they could feel life. like home. All of these things, you sort of have all these component parts to make sure you bring together a real sort of interesting mix to create that ecosystem. And a key part of it, we believe, was the innovation centre. So, you know, we could have built an innovation centre, forgotten about, you know, the other 1.1 yeah. million square feet of space and do that anywhere. But then it's just a race to the bottom based on price. What do you pay for your desk? What do you pay for your office? Mm. But this, you know, you say, has a bit of real estate play, 
as a team of a dozen or so innovation consultants. It runs programs. We won a £13 million contract from the government to build a cybersecurity centre with delivery partners Deloitte and CSIT and Queen's University. So it's it's more than just a space. But what you were saying when you when you sort of begun that is you were saying that as you walk through, you've got Plexel and for you... I suppose in a visual way, as well as anything else, is when you go in, that will, from the culture to the to the way it looks, will describe almost how all of those pieces of the jigsaw come together. And keeping control of that when you've got such a massive space so that everybody knows what the vision is, actually, which is what any... I mean, Russ, any, any big company would really focus on vision, wouldn't you, so Absolutely. that everybody buys it. Um, but it does feel like it all holds together when you walk, when you walk through, I think. It, it is, and, it, and our role um, as a management team, you know, so I've got a very good friend, um, he and I wrote the vision for this back together in back 2011, 2012, um, who's now um, stepped aside from being COO of Here East to run the Innovation Centre to make sure we have that true completement, al- mm. completeness of alignment of interest. Um, and then I've got, you know, someone else we trust implicitly as our new COO. But we have a management team uh, and the owners, let's not forget Delancey, who sort of saw the vision and have been, you know, we talk about disruption. And believed in you. And believed. But when you talk <laughs> about disruption in sectors, you know, to do something completely countercultural in a in a real estate play, which is you build it from spec. Um, you sit there with just over a million square feet of space going, are they going to come? But, you know, well, that, and they that's did. That's how I cannot believe that you took that job on. I mean, you must have been mad because, because the chances of success, if you don't, if you really didn't get it right, it, it is, well, I'm not saying it's slim, but it, but, but it's it's a tough job, and, and also you know that I mean, government's involved and public sector and other people, and it's 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 pulling all those strings together. It's, it's a hugely difficult job, but but credit to Gavin and and his team and the folks at at Delancey, you know, they had a vision and they've executed brilliantly on that vision right from day one. And, I, you know, I, I'm out there quite regularly. You know, I don't, I don't go there in and out of there every day, which what is what Gavin does. I see how it moves on every couple of months or so, and it is quite But, remarkable. Gavin, I don't think you could have done that unless you were a political player, unless you understood <laughs> how politics works, because you've got to have a bit of that on your side, otherwise it's not, it's not going to happen. When, I, you, when you've got something that is so much a part of the community and, and is so much to do with regeneration, I mean, and I know, um, obviously on the radio we can't see you, but I mean, I, I could, you know, you look like you're in the Royal Air Force. <laughs> um, I thought but, I'd left that behind. No, no. I'm, I'm, I'm sort of joking, but, no, but, but part of the role that you had was working as a government advisor, and I'm sure that must have been, you know, part of the success of it is understanding how there is a role for the public sector as well as the uh, as the private sector. Absolutely. I think, you know, it comes back to that thing about being disruptive in the marketplace. Mm. So when you say in taking the job on, we created it, we wrote the vision, we then meant so- sourcing funding. It's still an this. insane and thing it, to it's do. It's totally mad. Because, because it's a career-ending thing if it, you don't get exactly, it right. Exactly. I mean, you know, we look back now and, we, you know, Andrew and myself say, if we'd know what we know now, we might not have taken the leap that we took mm. back in 2012. Mm. Um, so I think f- from that point of view, you know, it's, it's been a, a, real, a real journey. My, my background, though, from, you know, yes, I'm ex-military. Um, I was an advisor to the Defence Secretary and the ministerial team. Um, I ran a think tank for Ian Duncan Smith for four years, looking at show, uh, social regeneration and social policy, which kind of, this is what this project really helps, about. I yeah. think, how, how, how those things Particularly work. when you look at London 2012, mm. yes, there was a lot about sport. Um, and ironically, we published, when I was running a think tank, a, um, a report in 2011, which slammed legacy for the Olympics on a sporting component, which I think is still valid. 
Um, but from an economic legacy, and you look at what the investment's done to the park and East London, it's phenomenal. It's transformed that side Absolutely of it. Absolutely superb. So understanding mm. politics, understanding um, how Whitehall specifically is works, so or dysfunctional. Doesn't. Or doesn't. Yeah. Um, <laughs> you know, my whole um, part of my um, my MA thesis was all about the dysfunctionality of Whitehall. Um, so, you know, I've studied this a lot. I've also <laughs> practiced it a lot. So I think it's not just from the political side, but also being a you know, senior military officer, it's diplomacy, defense diplomacy, traveling overseas, what you're doing when you're around doing various operations. Can you imagine me perhaps. doing that job, Russ? It won't work, would it? <laughs> no. It's not, it wouldn't be one of my skill sets. Stick to this one, Sue. Okay. <laughs> um, but joking aside, it, there seems like there's a huge number of threads that, that you know you had to pull together. And now, of course, you've got London's largest tech and creative campus, 4,000 students. Not 4,000 students, 4,000 people. And entrepreneurs and businesses. Yeah, 4,000 students, mm. entrepreneurs, um, yeah, employees, founders. Um, yeah, and we've got about 1,000 students on site, more masters mm. and PhDs. Um, uh, we thought we'd probably have about 5,000, 200, 5,500 people on site. But we had, um, last year, we had a, a moment where the data center, which was coming in, um, because of the changes in the data center market, and mm. the way that the big giants like the Googles and the AWSs and Alibaba's of the world have taken on the data center world. We've, we've exited the data center from the scheme. Uh, we brought in an amazing national collection research center from the VNA using amazing technology to open up national collection and to be a center in the study of design, which is what the VNA was set up for all those hundreds of years ago, um, on site next to a whole bunch of companies who are looking at design of products and services. So it's a fantastic opportunity. But what it meant is it gave us some space now where it's not just a data center. It's actually now got people visiting. It's got people working. So we think we're now going to be somewhere in the region of six and a half to seven and a half thousand wow. people on site. I mean, that's, I mean, I remember going there the first time. Mm-hmm. I think when we did a... There was a, a 2015. Was it? It was you, before the auditorium was open. Yeah, and, you, and you, you went in and it's like, I'm in the minibus. And I just thought I'd be taken somewhere. Like, am I, am I going to be shot or something? Because it's like, there's nobody around. And then you couldn't find where you were going because it's this massive place. Mm-hmm. And now when I go, it's, it feels like a, it feels like a little village, actually. There's it loads has, going it's on. becoming a big village. Yeah, it's, yeah. And it's bec- yeah. it has its own energy and dynamism, yeah. which, is, which is great. And, you know... Stratford, if you just look at the skyline in Stratford now, but also look at Hackney Wick and what's happening, you know, it's testament to, to the vision and the approach that the Kevin and team have taken. It has helped to regenerate. Definitely. That, and, you know, I keep saying London just keeps moving further east. And, uh, you know, we did get, when we were doing events there back in 2015, people saying, you want me to go all the way out there? <laughs> And now it's, it's like not it's Glasgow or something, or, well, you know, know. Or, the, or the Hebrides or something. Yeah. But it's like, but that's not an issue it's a now. It's fifteen-minute beautiful walk through the park actually there, there from is, Stratford International, and we've ditched the white minibuses, so we've now got. Oh, thank beautiful you. Yeah, I'm right pleased now. about that. But, I, but as I said, you know, it used to be a big issue. So oh, I've got to go to here. We still got to get out there. Mm. It's like now, it's like oh, it's naturally, of course, it's in here. It's probably you know, it wouldn't be anywhere yeah. else with it, and it, it just flows now. And I think you know, people are quite comfortable navigating themselves. You know, I've past Liverpool now. Street. Used to be the breakpoint. Yeah, can't yeah. go past Liverpool yeah. Street. Yeah. And now so I fall you know, off the end of the world. Exactly. Yeah. yeah. People just love coming to the park. Mm. You know, why do they like coming to the park? We've got loads of fun stuff. You know, we've got autonomous vehicle trials running in the park later um, this summer. We've got you know, we bought birds Bird. to, to the UK. And yeah. uh, it's a know, beautiful park full stop. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And you know, you can whoever else in London can you legally ride electric scooters yeah. and have fun in the park on days like this. It's amazing. Mm. Very good. Now, um, one of the things um, as a sort of theme that's coming out, and I I think it's interesting talking about Here East, because 
you know, establishing that type of community has has a massive knock on effect. So there's some bars opening and there's people selling, you know, food and there's other other supply systems that are going on. There's a little school around there, isn't there? And, and all sorts of other events or spaces. Um, technology can actually be a force for good. We're, we're hearing a lot of things around people like Facebook and, you know, kids spending too much time on their phones. Um, in your view, do you think that technology actually if we looked at it properly, and let's say we looked at it with a bit of perspective in 10 years' time, we, we, we'd actually go, wow, this is an amazing force for good. I, I think On there's... balance. No, I, I do think there's um, a lot of opportunity there to do some really interesting things, to re-establish the trust within the general public, to say technology is an enablement for good. So some of the things I've been talking about, about particularly around disabled people, yeah. technology can be an absolute lifesaver to enable them to function in, as I keep on saying, in a non-disabled world. You know, we've got some brilliant... Um, deaf programmers in our society and in our country. But the thing about programmers and coders, they need a peer review mechanism. But if you can't communicate with someone because they're deaf mm. and you can't sign, how can you do that peer review? So use of technology is going to be really interesting. We're running a program on that in the summer. Um, when you look at the type of businesses we've got within Plexal, particularly um, with the startup and scaling companies and within the cyber uh, businesses as well, you're really starting to see businesses now going, trying to solve, and it's often hyped work language, but some of society's real problems. Toughest problems. And yeah. they are. they genuine, And the younger people who are starting these businesses really want to do something that makes a difference. You know, it's one of the reasons why so I got involved running a think tank. I really wanted to make a difference in social policy. I really wanted to understand what could we do which would help nudge society in a different direction. And you're seeing that through younger people now, starting in some of these businesses. Now, whether it's health, health and fitness... You know, we look at some of the might of the global companies, even like Ford, and their smart mobility and city to my program, but actually talk to the people who are in those and driving those programs, excuse the pun. Actually, they want to open up our cities to people who the city is not open to, the most vulnerable, some of the poorest members. How do you do accessible um, access to jobs? How do you access to the where the work is? And I think if you look and understand what these people are doing in these businesses, it becomes a real change into society. Mm. And I think that's a positive thing. Um, Russ, across all the working groups that we've got at uh, Techline Advocates and, and Global Tech Advocates, do you feel that there's a real drive for tech for good? Or is that not a very good description? Is there a better description? Oh, I think I think so. I mean, we do actually have a TLA Tech for Good group. I thought we did, yeah. Absolutely. There's so many of them that I forget. Yes, and, um, and, and they're involved and in promoting lots of other tech for good initiatives. Um, and they're based. a couple of them are based at Bethnal Green Ventures, and Paul Miller's going to be speaking at the event. Uh, at the Investor Showcase event. So that is its own group, but I do see this permeating through all of the other working groups. So, you know, we talked about you know, the TLA Women in Tech group. I mean, it's very much part of that whole mantra. But, you know, you, you dip into things like blockchain or the, the, the TLA SaaS group. People are thinking about this. And I mean, because we have seen, and this will be one of the themes that we pick up at the event, this kind of call it the tech lash, you know, the backlash against tech and particularly large tech businesses. And, and we have a lot of work to do mm. to address that. And and some of the big tech titans, as we call them, have been beaten up and sometimes rightfully so in terms of how they've responded or their slowness in terms of addressing some of these issues. And I think the, many of the people I come across in the tech community are frustrated by that as well and therefore are doubling down saying, look, I know we can do things better. I know that the technology that we're creating is a force for good 
um, and therefore I'm passionate about it and I want to keep driving it. So, so you've been uh, you, you've been very high up in you know a tech organization. Obviously, you're so successful. You put your feet up ten years ago. I don't know what it was. <laughs> Thanks too. <laughs> um, uh, but 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 how easy is it, or how difficult is it? Shall I say, if you're you're in charge of a very very big tech company, everybody knows, um, and and yet you're being criticised for some some of the of the mm. things that you're doing. How do you handle that at the top? And you know, is it possible? that, let's say at Facebook or whatever, um, they can actually drive out some of the issues that happen? Is it, or is it just too complicated and too big now? I think ultimately it's dictated by the culture. And that's why I'm watching some of these companies closely, because if you have an open, collaborative culture, and, you know, I, I worked at Skype, and, you know, people were absolutely passionate about the product, the service, the experience. And many of those issues and sometimes customer frustrations about the uh, about the experience got to the top and we talked about them very openly and very candidly. And we made some, you know, really tough decisions, but we said, look, ultimately you've got to err on the side of what the customer wants. So what do you mean by tough decisions? Like getting people who, getting rid of people who don't toe the line or, or, or what do you mean by tough Well, I think in terms of how you roll out a product or service, you know, I was putting Skype on mobile devices and, you know, we had to do things with the App Store um, through 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 Apple. And, you know, we had some debates about, this was way back when 3G was just rolling out, do we actually charge for a 3G service? And, you know, I was very much saying, no, we shouldn't do that. That's ridiculous. But I was overruled. And yet this avalanche of customers came back and said, why are you doing this? Hmm. We had some honest, frank discussions. And we said, no, we're not going to do that now. Let's listen to the customer. So I think if you've got a culture, you know, you will disagree with people, but if you've got an open culture that says, look, let's make sure we're listening to what people are saying and respond to it in a, in a, in a proactive way, customers and society as a whole will go along with you. And I think some of what we're seeing now with the likes of Facebook, Twitter, Google, et cetera, is people are still questioning, well, what are you actually doing to fix the problem. And I, I know they are trying, I, but is it happening they? fast enough? I don't enough? know. See, that's what I'm asking you. You know, are they making tough enough decisions? Because it does seem to me that I mean, it's probably quite complicated to say, well, I can see somebody who's, you know, training people to make bombs, therefore I'm going to shut that website down, you know, whatever. But is it indeed their responsibility to do that? Or is it just an agnostic you know, sort of platform, which is, it's not their role to do that. It's society's role or, or, you know, they've found themselves in a really tough position. They have. And I think they're coming to grips with that. But I think if you step back and look at how did they get to this point? And this is not just, say, for example, Facebook, but many of the the startups and scale-ups and the tech unicorns that we talk about, driven by their investors in many instances, Mm. it's all a focus on growth growth at expense of anything else. And, you know, and I've also been caught up in that mantra too, which is grow the top line, demonstrate you've got a great business model and you will be successful. And these businesses have proven success, but they've also put on some blinders, which was we're focused on growth, but it's been at the expense of some of these other Mm. broader decisions that need to be taken. And they're now just grappling with it. And they've got a culture that's been fully focused on growth at the expense of some of the other decisions that have need to have been taken. And that's where they're tripping up and why they're struggling to pivot. Say, look, we we need to focus on growth, but we need to focus on this, this, and this as well. And some of these issues that relate to freedom of of speech, freedom of expression, are part of what they need to focus on. Mm. And they haven't been good at it because they haven't been challenged until the past couple of years to actually do it. So, Gavin, is, is that your view as well? Do they not have the structures to, to, 
to actually see what does it mark Zuckerberg go right we're not doing this now chaps you know and, and then we'll do this like from tomorrow <laughs> we're not doing that anymore I think, I think or, it's a or huge just ridiculously simple no I think there's you, you can always go back to simplicity and you know it's far for me to comment on someone who's you know, built an amazing an amazing business but the growth the growth point I think is really really well made and blinkered and what when you look at these businesses though they they were all and the ones we're talking about they were all the first they were all leaders yep. in their field to to scale at such a pace, particularly building social networks and others, which meant they you know, any drop down from revenue is going to be hugely criticised, particularly since most of them have IPO'd and they're all quarterly reporting and everything else that goes with all of that of being a public company. But what I think is also, on a simplistic point, has been missed, is they were more than social networks. They moved into becoming a media company. Yeah. And our media companies... And, have, and some time ago. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And it took a while. I mean, we were talking about this four or five years ago. And, and they're like, they don't seem to appreciate they are actually a media company. Therefore, it's different to what we'd normally have in terms mm. of, you know, news channels or newspapers or whatever, news blogs. But actually, they need to have the same sort of moral responsibility that those and codes that those media companies have. So the point you make earlier about, you know, videos showing people how to make bombs... You couldn't get that in you know, in whatever newspaper or BBC channel or whatever news channel. You know, someone was is, saying is that, that'd be shut down. Is that what you're saying? Because they have the systems and processes in place because the BBC has been around for decades. Well, I mean, or, more than systems or processes, I think there's a culture point, yeah. which is actually you know they've got teams who monitor and they, they and they yeah. instinctively know our media outlet stands for this. You know, and and that if you've got a platform saying actually it's a free platform, we're there to promote free speech. Oh, we didn't mean that free speech. Yeah. And, and how do you address that? We only meant partly free speech. Absolutely. And, and, and in our society, that means this. And mm. someone else's society, it kind of might mean that. And So I think having that media sort of parallel is a really useful reference point. Who don't always get it right themselves. And what I, yeah. what I would also add to that is, you know, if you look at coming back to the startups and scale-ups that we've been talking about in this first conversation around tech for good, is many of the businesses that I'm now meeting are watching this big thing happen and they're saying, yeah, we need to be focused on growth and this is what our investors are asking about. But we also need to be mindful that we're corporate citizens, that we want to bring in sustainability or how do we address the circular economy. And I'm seeing many of these smaller businesses saying, this is how we want to operate as we move but, forward. But so it's not just this tunnel sure. on growth. But isn't Gavin's point the fact that you sell out, really, that's what you're doing, you sell a big chunk. Uh, which means that you do relinquish control to some extent and yet you're still the face of the business. So you're the one that's going to get all the flack. And if you sell out at the point where you don't consider the cultural aspect, you're going to be lumbered with a load of investors who are just going to drive growth and they don't really care because they, they, don't, have to, they don't have to take the, you know, the, the hit for it. Well, I'm not sure I fully agree with that. I mean, it, yes, that that will happen, and that is certainly a risk in all of this. But you know, we just convened you know 18 investors last week. We had a great roundtable. Many were angels, many were VCs, and I think this notion of tech for good, ethical investing, thinking about sustainability, is not lost on them because no, that's no, where society is yeah. going, but, and they but, have to. And therefore, my point is, if you are going to sell your company, you've got more leverage than you think you have, you and do. you should be looking at investors who share your. 
Absolutely. Your vision and your... Yes. And, and one of the first things when, when I'm talking to people who are looking to raise money early stages, you've just got to be comfortable with who your investors are and be prepared to turn people away if it's not compatible it's not right. with your vision. Mm. If, if, you, if, you, if you take on somebody reluctantly, you're going to pay that price, not necessarily in six months, but in three to six years when you've grown your business and your views are diverging. Sure. That is not fun. Some of us have been there before. It's not a pretty picture. Mm-hmm. I think that's really sorry, an important point because we... Whilst... I was going to say, I'm going to go full circle here now, because yeah. we're running out of time. So, so what I'm saying to you is, have you managed to do that? Is that why you think that here is this so successful, is you've managed to be very, very strong about saying, well, I don't really care what you think, or I don't really care if you're going to come with a bunch of money, a bunch of other advantages. If you don't share this thing, then we, we, we can't really work together. So we made those decisions in June 2012. Exactly. Um, so we were having to raise a significant amount of money um, to allow us to take the developer, spin the company out, set up a joint venture, and so on. So, so it's more than funder, it's now owner, um, with Delancey. But we were sat there with a short list of potential funders who we were meeting, and it was a two-way interview. They were getting to know us, and we were getting to know them. And we chose the company we wanted to go with, Delancey, because we saw that they valued our vision. We also knew they shared our vision because they were already invested into the Olympic Park. They were um, looking at regeneration programs in that area because they sort of bought the athletes' village as well. And it was just this cultural fit that worked You have to be very strong to stick to that. I mean, I've been at big pitches and, you know, all sorts of other things and somebody's offered a chunk of money and then somebody else in the, you know, is, is sort of in the middling ground. It's quite hard to persuade everybody not to go for the best offer. It, it, it is about... If you, other things, isn't that it? comes back to the point, which is saying, mm. is the best offer purely financial decision? Indeed. I don't think it is. And actually, when you're looking at something saying the long-term value of this, sorry, the medium-term value is where you get the value. Mm. Short-term, we will make decisions where we are going to say no to deals. Are you happy with that? Yes. We are going to be very vision-led to the exception of anything else. Um, we are going to um, deliver on the vision. Manila, absolutely. And, and I think that when you look someone in the eye, you shake their hand and you go, I've got a sense of real trust in this person uh, and this organisation. And you know what? If it wasn't going to work out, we'd have gone long gone. And, mm. you know, good luck to people. But we're still, even with only 30% net to let, we're still saying no. We're still holding our own saying, no, that does not fit the vision. That is not going to help the growth. Our existing customers on site are not going to thank us if we just bring these companies in. Right. And, and we've been seven years in. Eventually, if you don't, if you don't stick to Absolutely. The... So I think vision, culture, very clear, um, and having a shared uh, vision with, with others and alignment. You can have those conversations. Not that we're not going to do that, but it's yeah. having a proper conversation where actually now the owners are saying, of course, we're not going to do that, are we, Gavin? And it's like, this is brilliant. It's yeah. you know, completely where we need I, to be. I always know when you've sort of got it right, when people start using your vocabulary. Uh, as their own. I always think you've, you've corrected them. Maybe you should be called St. Gavin, I'm just thinking, not having listened to that. <laughs> Let me tell you, every time I go out to hear East right before the event, I bow down to Gavin I and say, should. thank you very much. Yeah. There's nowhere else in London where I can bring 800 advocates with with such favourable terms and well, such an amazing venue. There's not many places that can actually hold 800 people anymore in London. So that, that's, that's one that's benefit. He has uh, created Christian. true magic. He has created true magic. So, Gavin Paul, a CEO of Here East. If you've not heard of Here East before, we just Google it, that'll do it, really. Yeah. Um, or if you haven't visited it, you really should. There's a lovely canal out the back. There's now some, some nice bars and all sorts of stuff going around. It's a lovely walk through the park. Exactly. And if you, if you are anywhere near East London, then why not just go along and have a little nose round? Get to Stratford, hop on our free shuttle service. 
bingo over, yeah. come not, to Canal Side. Not those slightly weird minibuses that we had to stop <laughs> exactly. with. They're all gone now, so don't worry yeah. about those. Um, and, but it is a beautiful walk. Hopefully we're going to have a great summer. So, so I'm sure you'd welcome people started, wandering around and having a look. It started the weekend just gone as well. Yeah, it's yes, absolutely good. So, so um, uh, well done. It's a, it's a great place, and yes. and from sort of, I mean, I just can't even imagine the fear of taking it on, and now where it is, it's um, and it's all made made it look very easy, which it isn't. Yes. Russ, dates for um, going to Here East with our Investor Showcase. Yes. What's the date? It's the 2nd of May. Uh, starts at 3 p.m., finishes at 7 p.m. And then you can go down to Canal Side right afterwards. The the networking and discussions and the camaraderie continues after that. But, uh, you know, if you, if you want to get a ticket, uh, get in touch on the website. Uh, reach out to me. Um, we've got oh, tickets to go. We'll We're pushing links. out on social media. Yep. Um, we'll pack out the place. It'd be great to have you there. And, and especially for me... Um, if you want to understand how people are thinking, mm. all sides of all sides of an argument, yes. all, all sorts of perspective, where are we going in the next two years? Who yes. knows? But you might get some clues if you come along. You get event. some very good clues. We've got a, a meet some great people too, and we've got a few repeat speakers from the first investor showcase because we wanted to bring them back and say. What do you think now? Um, and they were brilliant last time. I'm sure they'll be brilliant again in some new fresh faces and some diverse faces too. So uh, it's really nice to see that. Excellent. Notice I'm not on the stage this time. <laughs> I think I was naughty last time, wasn't I? I didn't get invited again. Um, <clears throat> so um, thank you so much to Gavin Poole, uh, CEO of Heres. Thank you for joining us, Gavin. My pleasure. And uh, Russ Shaw. St. Russ. You've been listening to the Tech Talk Show, which is available on Spotify, Podbean, iTunes and the podcast app on your phone. Thank you once again to my fellow presenter, Russ Shaw. And if you want to listen to any of our dozens of other podcasts, please go to techtalkshow.co.uk. Have a good week. Don't forget to book. Bye now. <laughs>